Welcome to The Well Podcast, where we post the audio messages for our Sunday sermons. For more information about us and how to get further connected, feel free to visit our website at thewellaustin.com. Good morning, church family. Uh, My name is Jacob Gutierrez. I am a covenant member here at The Well. And I serve as a college ministry intern and also on the teardown team. Um, I'm a part of the Mantac CG. Um, today, shout out. We're going to be reading from Song of Songs today, um, chapter 2, verses 8 through 17. So if y'all would turn to your, your Bibles with me. It says, The voice of my beloved, behold, he comes, leaping over the mountains bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, there he stands behind our wall, gazing through the windows, looking through the lattice. My beloved speaks and says to me, Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. For behold, the winter is past, the rain is over and gone. The flower appears on the earth, the time of singing has come. And the voice of the turtle dove is heard in our land. The fig tree ripens its figs, and the vines are in its blossom. They give forth fragrance. Arise, my love, my beautiful one, and come away. O my dove in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff. Let me see your face, let me hear your voice. For your voice is sweet, and your face is lovely. Catch the foxes for us, the little foxes that spoil the vineyards. For our vineyards are in blossom. My beloved is mine, and I am his. He grazes among the lilies, until the day breathes and the shadows flee. Turn, my beloved, be like a gazelle or a young stag on cleft mountains. This is the word of the Lord. What's up, everybody? How is it going? Not good, huh? Everyone's just chilling. Uh, Good to see y'all. My name is Yusuf. I'm the college director here at The Well. And as usual, yes, thank you. The one person. Uh, I'm just kidding. I don't need the praise. It's about him, you know. Um, uh, But yes, college director here. And I'm excited to be with you guys today as we continue on in our journey through the Songs of Songs. Um, And if you're just joining us, we're actually in week three of our series on love and marriage and sex and dating, all the things. And up until now, we've talked about um, attraction and dating or pursuits. And today, we're going to zoom in to what many scholars believe is the engagement period of the Shulamite and her man. And what we'll see is that they continue to both grow in depth of intimacy with one another as they prepare for marriage. And so the question that I want to ask and answer today is, hey, what observations can we make What wisdom can we glean from this couple as they prepare for marriage that can help us deepen our our intimate relationships here? Um, And not just our current or future romantic relationships, but also horizontal relationships as we grow in intimacy with one another and our vertical relationship with the Lord as we grow in intimacy with him. So that's where we're going today. And I want to caveat real quickly Uh, Tori has mentioned this quite a few times. This book and this passage is wisdom that applies to you regardless of what season of life that you're in. And so if you want more on that, he actually touched in depth on that uh, in the first sermon of this series. So I would ask you to reference that. 
And the last thing, before we dive in, let me just say, um, I don't know about you, but it's only week three, and I've never blushed this many times reading the Bible before. And so don't be alarmed if you start to see a brother turn red up here. You know what I'm saying? Um, Some of y'all didn't think it was possible for Africans to blush. I didn't think it was possible either. But I'm telling y'all, it's possible. It's happened, all right? And might continue to happen while I'm up here. So if you see some red, don't, you know, under this pigment, don't, don't be alarmed, all right? Okay, so let's dive in. A little bit of context for our passage today. We have the Shulamite woman, and she's daydreaming. She's reflecting on a time when her and her man were practically engaged to be married. So they're in this in-between phase of their relationship. They're, they're fully committed to each other, yet they're not covenanted to each other just yet. And so what do I mean by that? They are fully committed. They both know that there's no one else in the world that they would rather be with, right? They want each other and each other only. And not only do they know it, but everyone else knows it because they can't keep their mouth shut about each other, right? They're one of those couples where everywhere they go, it's, I love him. He's my beloved. She's my love, right? And we're like, we know, we get it, right? We would probably get annoyed at that. But unlike us, um, their community isn't annoyed. They're actually in full support of them. They're committed. They know it. Everyone knows it. Yet they're not covenanted to one another yet. That means they're not married. Therefore, they are not one before God. And they won't be until the day they stand before God and each other and their families and confess their vows for one another, that they will never leave or forsake each other. So that's the in-between phase that they're in. And as the Shulamite woman is reflecting and daydreaming of this season of their relationship, she remembers a time when her man traveled from afar to visit her in her home. And that's where we pick up in verse eight. The voice of my beloved. Behold, he comes leaping over the mountains, bounding over the hills. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. So what's the first thing we see? He's like a gazelle or a young stag. These are animals that are both attractive and agile. And so to say that he's like a gazelle is to say that, man, he's leaping over physical boundaries to be with her. Why? Because ain't no mountain high, (laughs) ain't no valley low, right? That's going to keep him from his beloved. He's head over heels. And his infatuation with her translates to physical pursuit. He is willing to traverse the toughest landscape to be with her. And as someone who's not outdoorsy, let me be the first to say that is love right there, right? (laughs) This man is actively pursuing her. It's the first thing that we see. And if you're like, wait, didn't we just talk about pursuit last week? I'm glad you asked because that's actually my first point. The, the fact that this is the first thing we notice shows that even though the season that they're in changes, as they go from dating to engagement, active pursuit is still a major part of their relationship. And, and even though that pursuit looks different in different stages, last passage, it was a lot of verbal pursuit, a lot of verbal affirmation. This week, he's traveling far and wide. Even though it looks different in different seasons, active pursuit is always present as they grow in intimacy with one another, which makes perfect sense. Wisdom would say that in any relationship, single, engaged, married, 12 kids, active pursuit should always be a part of the equation in order for the outcome to be depth of intimacy. 
And so I say that not only because of what we see in our passage today, but because of the fact that pursuit is a consistent theme throughout this entire book. And here's something I want you to notice. In this chapter, we see the man physically pursuing her as he leaps over mountains and hills to get to her. But in the next chapter, roles reverse a little bit. And it's her that's on the move. She's seeking to find him. So they both showcase the ability to both initiate active pursuits of one another and also receive active pursuits of one another. And I know that that seems like a small point because when I say that active pursuit is required, we need to know that it means for both people, right? That it's, it, it's mutual, it goes both ways. And you both have to not only be willing to pursue, initiate pursuit, but also receive pursuit, which means sometimes you're the initiator and sometimes it's on you to receive the pursuit of others. So here's how this applies to friendships um, in general when it comes to growing in intimacy with other people. Um, in the past, I've heard people complain about how they don't have any close friends and how hard it is to form deep relationships. And most of the time, they're doing all the right things, right? They just need to be a little patient because on top of effort, intimacy takes trust and time to develop. However, in many cases, when people complain about not having close friends, as I ask them questions and hear them out a little bit, it becomes blatantly obvious they're not putting in any effort whatsoever to pursue these type of friendships. So, or, or, so they're either not pursuing others or they're not receiving the pursuits of others, right? And so I'll have people tell me all the time, it's just, man, it's just so hard making close friends, man. It's hard. It's like, oh, okay, yeah, man, I'm sorry about that. Have you tried out a community group? Yeah, of course. Okay, well, how many times did you go? Once. Okay, when did you go? Well, I went once, like two years ago. And it's like, okay, man, it's blatantly obvious that you're not pursuing. You're, you're sitting around waiting for other people to do all the work. And that's just not how intimacy is formed. Or sometimes people are pursuing you. They're inviting you to things, but you're not making the time to receive their pursuit of you, right? And so if that's you where you're just like, man, I just can't find, man, it's hard to make deep friendships. Let me ask you, are you putting in the effort to pursue? Or do you expect people around you to do all the work? On the other hand, when people invite you to places, do you show up or do you just ghost everyone all the time? If you're having a hard time breaking past surface level relationships, the question is, are you allowing yourself to be known? Are you intentional about knowing others? Are you well balanced there? Because that's how intimacy deepens in relationships. And so now talking to my dating and engaged couples, when preparing to take the next step in your relationship, are you preparing to pursue each other long-term in marriage? Life-long pursuit of one another. Why are you saying it like that? So that it sticks. <laughs> Life-long pursuit. Life-long, I would start a chant if I had time. <laughs> Life-long pursuit is what it takes to have a healthy marriage. And that's also what makes marriage really hard sometimes. And yet we see here in every season, it's required to deepen relationship and it's mutual. It goes both ways. So he's a gazelle. He's leaping over mountains to get to her. Yet we quickly see that these mountains aren't the only barrier between them. Verse 14, he gets to her house and begins to speak. 
O my dove, in the clefts of the rock, in the crannies of the cliff, let me see your face, let me hear your voice, for your voice is sweet and your face is lovely. And so he gets to her house and he begins to describe her as a dove that's like nestled in the cliffs because he's, he's noticed she's like playfully reluctant to come outside. She, she's being a little shy or something, right? And so how does he respond? Is he like, do you know how far I've come to be here? Screw you. I'm going home. Is that what he says? I didn't come all this way for you to pretend like you hate me, right? He doesn't say that. He doesn't do that. He still pursues. It's just instead of pursuing with his actions, he's using his words now too. He begins to woo her, to draw her out by complimenting her. Arise, beautiful, my love. Let me see your face. Let me hear your voice. Your voice is sweet. Your face is lovely. Another nugget of wisdom here. Notice that his love for her, his pursuit of her, is shown in both word and deed. And his words and actions are consistent with one another. So what does that mean? He's not playing games. He's not playing games. Again, for the people in the back, he's not playing games, right? He, he pursues her with his words but he's consistent with how he pursues her and his actions. He has integrity. He's intentional. She sees him as a gazelle, active and agile. He sees her as a dove, delicate. And so he's gentle. Notice he doesn't call her a rubber ducky, right? <laughs> he, he doesn't see her emotions as a toy to be played with. And I really don't need to say much more here because already the Holy Spirit is starting to convict some of y'all because some of y'all are playing games and you know it. You know it. And so if you're thinking, dang, this must mean I need to stop leading people on because I like the attention. Yeah, stop doing that. Stop it. Don't fight the conviction of the Holy Spirit. His actions are in alignment with his words as he pursues her. There's wisdom there that we can learn from that. In verse 15, she finally speaks and responds to his wooing of her. The first thing she says in response, catch the foxes for us. Stop. You know, I remember reading this book for the first time in college and just being so confused by the entire book, but especially this part. Because, I mean, he's wooing her with his words, and that's her response to him? He's like, oh, baby, you're so beautiful. Come on outside. Catch the foxes. And I just was like... I remember thinking, like, I guess that's sexy in Jewish culture. I don't know. You know, it must be an idiom. I have no idea. For the longest time, I had no clue what she was doing. So what is she doing? Is she playing games? Is she doing exactly what I just said not to do, right? He's pursuing her. She's playing hard to get, throwing, saying random things to, to throw him off or tour with his emotions. Is that, what, is that what's happening? Not at all. Notice she says, catch the foxes for us because they spoil the vineyard. All throughout the book, the vineyard represents the many aspects of their intimate relationship. And so sometimes the vineyard represents their sex life. On their wedding night, she invites him into her garden to eat of its choicest fruits.
Or as we see here, sometimes what's happening in the vineyard is meant to symbolize the season or the condition of their relationship. That's why she says their vineyards are in blossom. What season is that? Spring. Spring symbolizes life and growth and excitement, vitality, maturity. So she's not toying with him when she says, catch the foxes. She actually agrees that their relationship is blossoming. But where he gets caught up in the feels of the season, she kind of brings him back to reality and reminds him that they have to protect it. And make no mistake, homeboy is in his fields, verses 11 through 13, right? Oh my gosh, babe, now's the time. Babe, look, there's flowers, there's fruits, the fragrance, the birds are singing. Babe, we're blossoming. Isn't it beautiful? She's like, you're right, we are blossoming. And it is beautiful. But guess who else is attracted to the flowers and the fruits and the fragrance? Foxes are. And they're not going to give us a 10-day notice of their arrival. So snap out of it, buddy. We got some work to do to protect what we have. It takes effort to not only pursue intimacy with one another, but to protect that intimacy with one another. And if you really think about it, it makes perfect sense that where there's relational flourishing, there will also be foxes. Where there is flourishing, there will be foxes because we live in a broken world where sin and Satan run rampant and, and Jesus was very clear that though he desires to bring life and life to its fullest flourishing, not only does sin bring death, but Satan is also at work with a deadly three-part agenda, steal, kill, destroy. And he wants to do as much damage as he can because he knows his time is short. He wants to, now, now let me ask this. If you were trying to cause maximum death, where would you not go? A cemetery. Why would you waste your time there, right? Ain't nothing to steal, kill, and destroy there. If I was trying to cause maximum damage, I would go to where there's maximum flourishing, maximum life. And so God has hardwired us to experience maximum flourishing when we're in deep intimacy with him and one another. So those are the areas that Satan is going to attack the most. It makes sense. It makes even more sense when you read Genesis. Even though God spends multiple days forming creation and calling everything good after each day, Satan waits until God creates something very good before he enters the picture. He's going to camp out where there is maximum good in order to cause maximum damage. And so that's why Satan doesn't enter the scene on the day that God creates vegetation, even though God calls that day good. He's not like, oh my gosh, look at the forest. So beautiful. It would be a shame if someone burned it all down. Like he doesn't do that. <laughs> he doesn't do that. He doesn't poison the water on the day that God creates fishes in the sea, even though God calls that day good. No, he waits until God creates something very good. Mankind, human beings, that's when Satan ends, enters the picture. God calls the day he made Adam and Eve very good because unlike anything else in his creation, they were not only to rule the earth on God's behalf, but they were privileged to walk in perfect intimacy with God and to bear his image. 
And so where there's a beautiful vineyard of perfect intimacy between mankind and their maker, Satan sees the perfect opportunity to be a fox that brings death and disunity where there's life-giving intimacy and relational flourishing. He waits until there is maximum flourishing in order to bring maximum death. That's his MO. And so our relationship with God, our relationship with one another, we have to know these are the areas Satan is going to attack the most. So we have to be on guard. We have to be on guard. And that's where the little foxes come in. That's where the little foxes come in. Here's what I mean. There are big, overtly evil things that ruin intimacy and destroy relationships, no doubt. But more often than that, it's the little foxes that really do the most extensive damage over time. It's the little unsuspecting things that tend to go unnoticed, but eat away at our vineyards and ruin our intimacy in the long run. And that makes sense to me too. I mean, think about it. If I brought a bunch of baby foxes with me and just let them out into the gym, how many of y'all would be like, oh my gosh, little foxes, run for your lives. They're going to ruin everything. They're such a threat. They're going to do maximum damage. None of y'all would say that. I'm willing to bet that if I let a baby fox out here, the first thing I would hear, oh my gosh, it's so cute, (laughs) right? And y'all would be trying to catch it, but not to get rid of it, to take pictures with it and post them on Instagram. Like, oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe what happened to church today. We got foxes. They're so cute and fluffy. (laughs) Y'all would be fighting over who gets to take it home. And so that's the true danger of foxes, unsuspecting. They seem kind of cute. The temptation is to kind of coddle it a little bit. But over time can be the very reason why your vineyards are desolate. And so let me ask you, do you tend to think about your relationships this way? Do you? Or do I just sound like a Debbie Downer up here? Do you have the expectation that if intimacy is to grow in our horizontal and vertical relationship, there needs to be effort to protect it? Not for if the foxes come, but when they come. Do you think about that? Now, does this mean that we allow the threat of foxes to paralyze us with fear of them? Not in the slightest. That's not what they do in the the passage, right? They don't miss out on the flourishing because they're scared of the foxes. They're balanced. They're present with the uh, flourishing. They're smelling the fragrance. They're appreciating the beauty of the flowers, but they're also protecting against foxes. There's a balance there. There's wisdom there. I'm not the most outdoorsy person in the world. I know that comes as a shocker to most of you, Um, but my wife is. And when we were dating, she invited me to go on a walk with her through Purgatory Creek in San Marcos to explore the outdoors. And I was like, sure, I'll go with you. And she knew I wasn't, I wasn't trying to like not be myself. She knew I wasn't the biggest fan of the outdoors. But what she didn't know is that I I was pretty scared of poison ivy. I have this weird doesn't really make sense. I've never really gotten like poison ivy on me, but I've seen some weird Google images of like what poison ivy can do to you. And so ever since then, I've just been kind of really scared of it. Okay. There's me being a little vulnerable. I hope that doesn't come back to bite me. Um, So the whole time on our hike, I'm following her, but my eyes are glued to the floor, right? I'm dodging things that look weird, like, nope, not stepping there. And so practically tiptoeing through the, the forest the whole time until halfway through the trip, I feel like God spoke to me and said, hey, can you just stop and look up for a second? And what I saw blew my mind. I'd never been 
that immersed in the woods during that time of the year where everything was in bloom. It was gorgeous. Even I like had to admit that. Like, wow, this is really, really pretty. So I pulled out my phone. I had to take a picture, capture the beauty of it because I knew I probably wouldn't be coming back. Um, it was a great once in a lifetime experience for me. <clears throat> but, but God was using that experience to show me that how I navigated the woods is how I tend to navigate life in general. So fearful of things going wrong that I miss the beauty taking place in the here and now. And so that taught me that striking the balance is important. And that's what they do in this passage. They strike a beautiful balance. They're present with the beauty of their flourishing relationship, but they aren't crossing boundaries that would jeopardize their relationship with the Lord or one another. They're vigilant. What's the wisdom we see in their season of preparation that we can apply to our lives? The two biggest things is that they actively pursue intimacy. They actively protect their vineyard and they catch the foxes that are sure to visit their vineyard. So the question is, what are the foxes right now in your life that seek to rob you of the intimacy Christ wants you to experience with him and other people? What are they? I know for Ashley and I, almost uh, after almost six years of marriage, we can both say we definitely saw that there were foxes at the beginning of our marriage that snuck up on us. Our honeymoon phase did not last very long, right? And quickly into marriage, within six months, we both were like, dang, marriage isn't as awesome as we thought. We were like, marriage kind of sucks, low key. Like that's literally, we were, <laughs> right? And we were both like, man, you're really not all that. Oh yeah, well, you're not really all that. And we just were like, man, I guess we, what do we do? I guess we're stuck with each other for the, I mean, I kid you not. <laughs> Because we made the mistake that Tori mentioned last week. We expected more from marriage and each other than we could possibly give, possibly get. Did we love each other? Absolutely. But did we put an unrealistic expectation on one another to be perfect spouses because we both idolized marriage? Yes. And it was a fox we had to work through. There are foxes that tend to revisit because the moment we let our guard down, it's right back in our vineyard takes intimacy and effort to protect it. And as I was prepping for this sermon, I started to think about our marriage and we are flourishing. I, she was in the first gathering. I got to kind of dote on her. I love my wife. We have a great marriage. But then I realized, man, it's, it's only been six years. Six years really is not that long of a time comparatively. Like there are people in this room that have been married for longer than the majority of the room has been alive. Think about that. And so I thought, man, it'd be a good idea to not just hear what some of the foxes that I think exist, but to hear from some seasoned veterans, right? So over this past week, I've just asked tons of people, couples that love Jesus and have been married for a long, long time. Some of them covenant members here. I asked them, hey, over the last 20, 25, 30 plus years of marriage, what have been some of the foxes you've seen or have had to guard against in your marriage? You should have seen me last weekend. Austin, our production director, uh, his sister got married. And so I'm at the wedding asking his parents and their friends, hey guys, what are some foxes y'all have seen? And they made like a semicircle around me as I was just taking notes. I felt like a detective, like, oh yeah, no, that definitely is a fox. That makes sense. How'd that make you feel? Not very good, did it? Yep, no, it makes sense. I was going to try and categorize them because it was a long list. Kind of summarize them a little bit, but Tori was like, nah, man. 
people need to see all of it. And so I'm going to share this list with you of all the foxes that people that have been married for a long time identified in their marriage. Um, and I'm going to share with you. And this is a no judgment zone, by the way. I'm not going to, you know, put their names or anything on here. I just, but, you know, just be, be gracious, I guess. I feel, the, feel like it's weird that I would have to tell you all that at church. But hey, all right, let's go through the list of foxes that people, including Ashley and I, have seen in their marriages. Fox number one, misaligned or unmet expectations. That was our fox, or one of them, one of the many. Not handling conflict well. When you get in a disagreement, are you just trying to off the other person? Just cut so deep to where they have no rebuttal? It's not healthy. It's a fox. Poor communication. Bitterness. Refusing to have open conversations about sex with your spouse can be a fox. Complacency. Getting into the rut of routine that keeps you from actively pursuing your spouse. Fox. Jealousy. Lack of trust. Unconfessed sin not aligning on boundaries that determine how y'all interact with the opposite sex can be a fox, a dangerous one. Pride and ego is a fox. Thinking you're immune to ever cheating on your spouse and so letting your guard down, being foolish is a a fox. Inability to forgive, self-righteousness, judgment, all foxes, but wait, there's more. Lust. Pornography addiction is a fox that will decimate your vineyards, people. It will destroy the intimacy that you have, not only with your spouse, but with the Lord. Don't don't coddle that fox. Kill it. Comparison. Comparing your spouse to other people or past relationships. Unhealthy views of money and finances can be a fox. Not being equally yoked. But wait, there's more. Not all foxes are inherently bad. There are things that are not bad within themselves, but become foxes that can destroy your marriage if you allow them. Like kids. Children are a blessing. They are not bad. But prioritizing kids over pursuing your spouse is one of the most common reasons for divorce. Work is not inherently bad. But prioritizing work over pursuing your spouse can be a fox that ruins your vineyard and stifles intimacy. And that's the fox that Ash and I have to continually catch, the one of many. In-laws are not inherently evil, though some of y'all might disagree. (laughs) But they can become foxes when there aren't established boundaries set by you and your spouse on how to protect your vineyard. They're foxes. But wait, there's more. I just don't have time to list them all. Why? Because there are an infinite number of foxes that desire to ruin your intimacy with the Lord and with one another. And so what do we do? I know that sounds depressing, but remember my first point. We're not going to allow the fear of foxes to just cause us to lose our minds. Oh my God, there are foxes everywhere. Run for your life. Like that's not, that's not the point. The balance being present in the beauty and the flourishing, but not being naive to think that your vineyard is immune to foxes. And it takes work to protect it. We pursue and we protect. That's the wisdom that we can glean from this passage and apply to our relationship with the Lord, our relationship with our spouses, our relationships with our close friends. And so what do we do with this information? 
What do we do with this wisdom? How do we take the first step towards properly applying this wisdom to our lives? How do we respond rightly to this? Ironically, I think the first step to applying this wisdom is to actually admit that we've all failed at this. When it comes to our relationship with God, when it comes to our relationship with others, we have all at some point failed to pursue intimacy or failed to protect intimacy. And in doing so, we've allowed foxes to eat the fruit and the flowers of the beauty that God desires for us to experience. It's true for all of us. And the first step is admitting that, that we've fallen short. To be honest, there are some of you in here that I actually don't need to convince because you look at your life right now, you look at your relationships and you don't see fruit and flowers and you don't smell the fragrance of flourishing. You feel like you've blown it. Some of y'all's marriages are not flourishing fields of intimacy right now. It's desolate because you've allowed foxes in and they've done extensive damage. And a telltale sign that a fox has visited your vineyard is that where God desires for you to experience intimacy and oneness, there is now shame and separation. Adam and Eve experienced it in the garden. And many of you are experiencing that right now as you think about your sins, you think about your past, you think about your unhealthy, toxic relationships. You think about the foxes you've let into your life and the damage that they've done, or you think about the times where you were foxes in the vineyard of other people. You know it. The, the fragrance of flourishing in your life has been overpowered by the sense of shame because you know your, your vineyard is in shambles. And if that's you, let me be the first to tell you, you are in the perfect place. The first step to applying this wisdom is to admit that we've all blown it. But the second step is to fix our eyes on Jesus and believe that because of his life, death, and resurrection, there is not a sin that you've committed that is too great for him to redeem. And there is not a relationship in your life that is too damaged for him to restore. Our God is in the business of restoring intimacy. He's in the business of it. Restoring intimacy, not just in our relationships with him, but in our relationships with each other, be it a spouse or a close friend. There is not a vineyard too damaged for Christ himself to restore. And this is at the heartbeat of why Christ came in the first place. During Jesus's time on earth, Luke tells us in chapter 13, as Jesus was nearing the end of his earthly ministry, he began to head to Jerusalem because he knew that's where he was going to be crucified. That's where he was going to pay for the sins of the world. But in order to get to Jerusalem, he had to pass through Herod's territory. And so on his way there, as he's passing through Herod's territory, some Pharisees approach him in verse 31. They tell him, get away from here, for Herod wants to kill you. And he said to them, go and tell that fox, behold, I cast out demons, perform cures, today and tomorrow, and on the third day I finish my course. Some translations say, I will reach my goal. Christ actively pursues as he steps out of heaven and he's desired is to, with determination, reach the cross. And on the way there, he's healing the sick. He's casting out demons to show he has power to bring life and flourishing where the foxes of this world have brought chaos and destruction. 
He stepped out of heaven on a rescue mission to restore the vineyards that we desecrated as he actively pursued us and our redemption. And as he did that, on his rescue mission to the cross, there wasn't a fox on earth or a fox in hell, not Herod, not Satan, that was going to keep him from taking out the even greater fox. Sin and death and the shame that they bring. He was determined in his active pursuit of us to restore intimacy, the intimacy that we lost in the garden. And so if we're going to receive him, we need to understand that we're not the hero of this passage. We're not. Jesus is the true and better pursuer that didn't leap and jump over mountains like a gazelle, but in his active pursuit of us, he limped and stumbled up a cross to be crucified. And so as you look at your life and you're tempted to believe that, man, as the sense of shame just overwhelms you, tempted to believe that, man, there is no hope for restoration, you turn your eyes to the cross. You see a man who, though he pursued God perfectly and pursued us perfectly, died a shameful death. You look your eyes there. You fix your eyes there. Why would he do that? So that every time you and I fail to pursue and fail to protect, every time we feel the shame of, the, of letting foxes into our vineyard, we can look to Calvary and see a man that was shamed to the point of death on our behalf. And that us, by repenting and confessing that he is Lord, he takes our shame and he gives us the gift of eternal life and begins to redeem us even here and now and promises that one day he's coming back to restore it all. This is why we titled the series what we titled it. Jesus actively pursued us even though it cost him his life. He loved us to the point of death. And so now as we receive him, it's the Holy Spirit that empowers us, y'all. It's the Holy Spirit. You think I can do this 24-7? I'm a failure. I need the Spirit of God to empower me to pursue my spouse and to pursue friendships and intimacy with other people. So how do we apply this wisdom? We accept we're not the hero and we turn to the true hero of the story, Christ. So where are you at right now? If you've never placed your faith in Christ, I do pray today is the first day that you do that because he's the only way to a flourishing relationship with God. If that's where you're at, I pray that I pray that, that would be your response. Some of y'all are craving close relationships but aren't putting in the effort whatsoever to get there. And maybe you need to know that, man, pursuit goes both ways. You've got to initiate pursuit and receive it when it comes. So try out a community group if you haven't. Try inviting, take Hooli's advice. Try inviting some of the people that you've met here to lunch. Get to know them. Put yourself out there. Couples in here. Are y'all doing what it takes to catch the foxes in y'all's relationship? Do y'all have wise counsel that can help you both identify foxes and catch them? Because some of y'all are in toxic relationships, y'all. Your, your vineyard doesn't smell pleasant. There isn't fragrance that people enjoy. It's toxic. It smells bad. Everyone knows it. Like, man, they got issues. So what's your next step? I'd beckon y'all to seek the wisdom, counseling of people that love Jesus, have a track record for identifying foxes and catching them in their own relationship. 
My prayer is what I said earlier, that it would be true of us, that as we follow Jesus and see how he's done this perfectly, even when we fail, that we receive him and receive his spirit and press into his spirit as it empowers us to not only pursue, but protect intimacy with Christ and one another. Would we apply this wisdom? Would we be gracious to those who are foxes in our vineyards? Because we've been foxes too. In doing so, we reflect the gospel to the world around us. Would we apply this wisdom, experiencing, experience the flourishing that comes from it until he returns, takes us home? Amen? All right, let's pray. Father, I actually just want to take a second. And Holy Spirit, would you begin to speak, God? To every person in this room, would you begin to speak? God, would you show them how much you love them? Would you convince them that they don't have to hide? That when they look at their vineyard, they smell the shame and it leads to separation from you. Would your Holy Spirit remind them that that's exactly why you came? Active pursuit to restore our vineyards with you and others. And so where there is a lie permeating, that there's no hope for restoration, Spirit, would you remove that lie and replace it with your truth? That there is no vineyard too far gone for you to restore. Father, I pray for those of us in here pursuing relationships, marriage. God, I pray that you would give us the wisdom to balance being present in the beauty, but also protecting against foxes, Lord. We love you, Lord. We see that you've done this perfectly in your pursuit of us. And so would our response forever be worship, God? We worship you with our lives and we worship you with the way that we pursue you and pursue each other and the ways that we protect that intimacy that we have with you, God. We love you. We ask that your Holy Spirit would move, Lord. Empower us. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, everybody. Thanks so much for listening. If you want more information about us or how to get further connected, please visit our website, thewellaustin.com.